We are living in the most exciting time in human history to be alive. And in the midst of so many of the things that have recently surfaced, we just caught wind of an interview with Saudi Arabia's crown prince. And what he said is very eye-opening. And if you're studying Bible prophecy, it's also very exciting. Well, without a doubt, the month of August and September has been historic. Actually, the whole year has been a bit historic. And what we have been seeing happening in the Middle East as of the last few months has been unprecedented. And the world literally changed last week as a result of some of the stuff that we saw coming out of the UN. As a matter of fact, we are going to do a full report on many of the speeches that were given at the United Nations uh, General Assembly. We're gonna do some uh, discussion about what came out of Russia. We'll definitely talk about Iran and uh, what happened uh, in that situation. There's a very interesting story, by the way, related to um, what took place with the UN ambassador to Israel. And boy, there are some incredible things that are coming out of all of that. But today, I have actually chosen to take an interview that has not gotten a lot of attention. It's with Brett Baer. And the interview is him over there at Fox interviewing Mohammed bin Shalomin. Now, if you don't know who MBS is, that's how we affectionately refer to him. He is Saudi Arabia's royal crown prince. And he is making all kinds of changes and has been now for the last several years. He has changed the face of Saudi Arabia and so much of what he talks about in this interview is remarkable. Now, what is extraordinary about this interview isn't just the content of what he actually talks about, but it's also the fact that he did it in the English language. Uh, all of his other interviews have been in Arabic. And by the way, he is a remo just remarkably articulate man. When you hear him speak in Arabic and, of course, his uh, handle of the English language, as you're going to find out, uh, is pretty amazing. So you guys are going to be blessed uh, because there's going to be a lot of information I think that is going to come out here that is going to give you a better understanding of what's actually taking place over there. There are undoubtedly biblical implications. Matter of fact, the very opening of this interview, he's going to talk about a particular area in Saudi Arabia that has been the target of Naum, which of course is MBS's uh, 2030 project, uh, sort of a uh, globalist thing, but there's a lot more to this and the implications of it all are very biblical and quite remarkable. So without further ado, let's watch this interview. I'm going to interrupt it on multiple occasions. We won't see it in its complete entirety, but we will put a link to the Fox YouTube channel where you can see it in its entirety, but we're going to go over many of the areas of this interview that I think are really important and necessary uh, to kind of give you guys some perspective. There's some remarkable things that came out and probably some things that we should pay attention to. So without further ado, here we go. This is the island of Sindala, the first project in Neom, your Vision 2030. It is spectacular. It is really beautiful. You know, a lot of people have described you as a visionary leader. I talked to a number of your citizens, and that's how they describe you. And you didn't even plant them. That's really how they talk about you. Um, and world leaders are saying the same thing. You've had this transformational change, every aspect of the kingdom, economic, social, cultural, religious. Can you give us some specific examples of what your goals are and how you think all of this is going? Well, simply, uh, 
Okay, before he answers, I want you to pay very close attention to what he has to say. Again, uh, make no mistake, this man is not to be underestimated. And the things that he says here is very, very, very important for how we know the globalist sort of uh, new world order is going to come into play. He has a lot to do with this, a lot more than a lot of people think. And it is important to know that Saudi Arabia is going to be a close friend with Israel in the Ezekiel 38 scenario. So none of this should surprise you, but it is remarkable to hear it coming out of his mouth and pay very special attention uh, to what he says uh, regarding this. We have in the past uh, few issues in Saudi Arabia and a lot of opportunities that we didn't use. We're trying to capture that and to go forward for a better Saudi Arabia. And that's what we're trying to do. And it's a big vision. It is a big vision. And we, uh, we get like surprised every day that uh, we reach our target faster and we ex extend that to a newer target and a bigger uh, uh, ambition. So it's really exciting. So understand what he's saying, basically. He's saying that the target is moving and that they are seeking to accelerate the work that they're doing, not slow down. This becomes very consequential as it relates to some of the things that we know are going to be happening in Israel and the level of acceptance that the royal family has of him and what's going on in the dynamic of what's taking place in Saudi Arabia makes an exceptional, exceptional deal here for what we're seeing. So uh, I'll continue to walk you through some of this. We're going to play big sections of this and then I'll kind of walk through some of the details and why that's important. Uh, your ministers say you work them hard. Well, you can see in 2022, we are the fastest G20 country growing. And also in this year, if you, if you take just an non-oil GDP part, uh, we are the second fastest in the G20 growing. So it's like a fight between Saudi Arabia and India, a good fight. You're making a, a transition uh, on trying to get different parts of the economy, not a heavy reliance on oil. Uh, the role of women in the society has evolved significantly. You know, you had this 2030, what do you see 10, 20, 30 years for Saudi Arabia? I will give you an example. If you, if you look to the to late 70s, Saudi Arabia GDP is bigger than South Korea. And now South Korea, it's, I think it's uh, the 10th or 12, uh, 11th largest GDP in the world in 2016. And in 2016, we are number 20. So that's a shame. Uh, in in 1980, 1980, we, we was GDP number, I think, 12 globally, and then in 2016, we are number 20. So we believe if Saudi Arabia and really a, the perfect track, since that time, we will be among the top seven GDP globally. I'm trying to get Saudi Arabia back on the right track. You're a data guy. So I want to point this out. He's making it very clear that he's making this about economics. Um, understand that economics is what's driving an overwhelming majority of the policy decisions that are being made in Saudi Arabia. And they recognize this as being something necessary for their survival. MBS will refer to this on numerous occasions. He's done it over the years and he's correct in this. As a matter of fact, that's what's driving the normalization agreement with Israel because they recognize the element of economic prosperity. And this matches what we read about in Ezekiel 38 that talks about the economic prosperity uh, that is going to exist in Israel at the time that Russia attacks. And by the way, it will be economics that will cause Saudi Arabia to object to what Russia is doing. 
They're going to say, what in the world got into your mind? In other words, why would you ruin such a great thing? And so you're going to see this kind of attitude already being exhibited in what MBS is saying here. And it brings a lot of insight into the fact that God is calling this and he's calling it correctly. It's pretty remarkable stuff. You're a data guy. We can, we can see today. Today, today we are the largest uh, uh, 17, number 17 ranked as a largest GDP in the world, but in G20, we are almost ranked number 15 from 20 in just a few years. The G20, you just mentioned it. You really have become a big player on the world stage. And that G20 rail and ports deal connecting Europe, the Gulf nations, and India, why is that such a big deal? Logistics is important. If you want to manufacture in your country, if you want to move goods, it's, it's important to have a good logistic plan. You work it with many countries, many regions, to be sure that goods pass in the right time. We, for example, uh, that project will cut the time of goods from India to Europe by three to six days. Cut time, save money, and it's more uh, safer, more efficient. Uh, so why not? And it's not about only moving goods and railways and ports. It's also about linking uh, grids, energy grids, uh, data, uh, cables, and other uh, stuff will benefit uh, uh, Europe, uh, Middle East, and also uh, 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 India and most of these energy, it's all of these energy going to be a green energy that's going to be produced in the Middle East and, uh, and being exported to Europe and, and India. So it's a big deal for us and for Europe and for India. And understand why it's a big deal. It's, it's not only a big deal for that reason, but it's a big deal because it's going to create a more contingent globalist element that exists. And if they can not only establish this railway to produce a way for goods and services to, to go across the pipe. They can also create these agreements that exist between these nations to share the raw material that's being put into the manufacturing, and it basically strengthens Saudi Arabia substantially, and it also strengthens their national defense mechanisms that they deploy because there will be other nations that will have a very specific stated interest in wanting to protect that railway because it also affects their GDP. So this is economics, and he's very smart. Uh, do not underestimate what you're seeing here. Uh, it's a pretty brilliant move, and again, this goes back to the whole picture created by Ezekiel 38. We are setting it up for this. It's uh, it's pretty amazing stuff. So let's uh, go through some more of this. Also mentioned in this deal is Israel. Um, what would it take for you to agree to normalize relations with Israel? By the way, pay attention to the answer that he gives. He's going to talk about the Palestinians here. But keep in mind that this interview actually takes place at a very critical moment, right? We've been talking about where Israel is sitting right now. We're talking about the desires of uh, so many other nations to want to see a deal like this come through. Because if Saudi Arabia normalizes with Israel, then lots of other countries stand to benefit from it. This railway that he just demonstrated. Look, you have a lot of people that are going to end up benefiting from this, right? Potentially Iraq could benefit from this. Kuwait, Qatar, uh, all the UAE nations would benefit from this. India would benefit from this. Um, of course, all the European nations would benefit from this. There's a lot of people here that see a lot at stake. And creating a new kind of a, a land bridge could even open up some real possibilities, not only for just Egypt, 
but the use of the Suez Canal in conjunction with how this rail works, it could change everything. And again, these are all nations that in one way or another are already friendly with Israel. So this is the kind of stuff that even two years ago you would have said, impossible, there's no way that's going to happen, but it's all manifesting. He's going to talk about Palestinians. But be careful in paying attention to what he says because his answer is very guarded. He is not going to say that we absolutely have to have a two-state solution or it's all gone. He's basically giving the pat answer and he emphasizes safety for the Palestinians, a comfortable way of life. He is setting it up for Israel to be able to still continue on with the normalization agreement with Saudi Arabia without the Palestinians being in a place of satisfaction because he distinctly and uniquely knows that the Palestinian Authority is not going to answer and agree with everything that's being said here, right? And if you want to know more about that, you can listen to the, the speech that I just translated from Mahmoud Abbas that uh, I did last week. It'll give a lot of insight and direction into this. It, uh, this is uh, really amazing stuff. So let's take a listen to his answer. The answer, by the way, is important. There's going to come a point in time where he's going to be given an opportunity to say that this these talks have stalled, and he's going to be very quick to say, no, the talks haven't stalled. We are not giving up on these talks with Israel. And he kind of, in a way, disrespects the Biden regime, which is uh, it's good. They deserve that. When uh, there is a vote from uh, President Biden administration to get to that point, uh, for us, the Palestinian issue is very important. We need to solve that part and we have a good negotiation to continue till now we got to see where it will go we hope that it will reach a place that it will uh, ease the life of the palestinians and uh, get israel back, uh, as a player in middle uh, middle east there were reports that you had suspended talks no no that's that's not true not true no no that's not true he was very quick very very quick this is a very pro-Israel man, and the, and the royal family has no problem with this. This is remarkable, and they're ignoring the interference of the United States of America with their anti-Semitic regime that is seeking to sabotage these negotiations. It's amazing what he's doing here. This is historic stuff. This is Bible stuff. So you think, if you were to characterize it, are you close? Every day we get closer. It seems it's for the first time uh, real one, serious, we're going to see how it goes. Can you make a deal with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu? Is that somebody you can deal with? Well, uh, in Saudi Arabia policy, we don't interfere of who's running each country, who's there. We work with him. Now we don't have a relation with Israel. But if uh, Biden administration succeeded to make I believe the biggest historical deal since the end of the Cold uh, uh, War. Uh, then we're going to start a relationship, and that relationship going to be continuous regardless of who's running uh, Israel. So, I mean, he's 73, you're 38, um, but you think maybe there's a chance you could deal with him? If we have a breakthrough of reaching a deal that gives the Palestinians their needs and uh, make the region come, we're going to work with whoever's there. Notice that. The Palestinian, their needs. This is remarkable, folks. He is very guarded about how he answers this. 
I believe that what's going on is MBS recognizes the fact that the Palestinian Authority is not going to be reasonable. He recognizes the fact that the elimination of the Jewish state is the desire of the Palestinian Authority. He understands the damage behind proxies of Iran because Iran is not a friend of Saudi Arabia, especially because of what's happening to the South in Yemen with the Houthis who are direct proxies of Iran, right? They recognize this. They don't uh, uh, jive uh, with Hamas or Hezbollah. This is amazing stuff. The dynamic that we're seeing here is remarkable, and Saudi Arabia is taking this very seriously. Now, when you couple that with the news stories that we've been watching that relates to the fact that MBS himself is saying that they need to have guardianship over the Temple Mount area and, in essence, basically minimizing the role of Jordan's waqf, this is... Look, we are changing the face of everything. And I think that the reason why he's doing this is he thinks that Temple Mount's going to be an easy bargaining chip, which is also going to open up the door for the Antichrist Temple to be built. Look, this is amazing stuff. It's absolutely amazing. Not to go too far, but the concessions Israel would have to give the Palestinians, what would that look like? That's part of the negotiation. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't I want to you. describe things because I, 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 want, I want to see really a good life for the Palestinians. So I, I want just to continue the negotiation with the, with the Biden administration to be sure. Well, on the U.S. side, good. would there be a defense pact maybe between the Saudi Arabia and, and the United States? And what would that, would it look like uh, Article 5 and NATO? Yeah, well, first of all, we, we have some sort of that in the past 80 uh, years. We are the biggest buyer from uh, American uh, Armament manufacturing. I believe Saudi Arabia alone is bigger than the next five buyers from uh, America. So, so you, it's, Saudi Arabia is critical in your armament import economically, and we have a lot of security military ties that really strengthen the position of Saudi Arabia in the Middle East and strengthen the position of America globally, especially in Middle East. You don't want that to be shifted. You don't want to see Saudi Arabia shifting the armament from America to other. Uh, place so that document by the way that's him warning people very openly because they've already done that in many ways they gave a a lot of their budget a good portion of it a fire off the bow portion of it to russia and saudi arabia is buying all kinds of defense tools from russia and they're right now mbs this is his nice way of saying uh united states better cooperate or they're going to lose their big customer. And by the way, he's very, in a diplomatic way, unofficially making the defense contractors that we have here put some pressure as they start lobbying the Biden uh, regime, knowing full well that they could lose easily 40% of their business. He's brilliant. He's smart. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And uh, look, God is using all of these people as puppets, right? This, not, this should not be a surprise here that we're actually watching this. But look what he continues to say. It will strengthen that. It will strengthen the interests of America, security interests, uh, military interests, and also economical interests. And also it will save effort and headache from the Saudi side of not switching to other places. You know, there are many people who wonder why you first normalized relations with Iran a longtime enemy who back in 2017 attacked uh, your oil facilities, um, but yet, not yet, Israel. Can you, you explain that? Based in situation and uh, politics, so uh, we have a long fight with Iran since uh, 79. Uh, 
we don't we don't want to be that uh, the norm in the uh, Middle East. If there is opportunity to shift that and to go to prosperity and uh, interest and uh, 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 working with Iran and working with the other Middle Eastern, bringing Iran to work with the Arab world, with the Middle East, that, why not? So the Iranian reach to the Iraqis in 2020, the Iraqis talk to us, they start to, they start to do that kind of uh, negotiation. Uh, we have few obstacles, China come in, solve it, and then we have a good start. We hope that continues. We're trying our best, and also what we see from the Iranians, that they're taking this very seriously and they are doing their best. So we are investing in that. And by the way, uh, that's code for basically saying that they are working with Iran because it's a part of what they're doing with Russia. Yep. He's not going to say that, folks, but that's exactly what's happening here. And that's something that we should be pointing out. It's critical uh, this guy is masterful in dealing with these nations and it should not surprise anybody. By the way, I'm going to just tell you this right now. They have a serious problem with Iran. They're not going to say it out loud, especially because of Iran's proxies. But the kind of uh, settlement that they are beginning to enter into is one that was orchestrated, yes, by China, but through the hand of Russia. So this is a very important dynamic here to pick up on. That's a big change. And clearly you can see outside the box on these on these deals you know you can look to that are you concerned though iran gets a nuclear weapon about them getting a nuclear weapon when we are concerned of any country getting a nuclear weapon that's a bad uh, uh, that's a bad uh, uh, move and you don't need to get a nuclear weapon because you cannot use it even if iran gets a nuclear weapon any country use a nuclear weapon that means they are having a war with the rest of the world the world cannot see another Hiroshima. If the world see 100,000 people dead, that means you are in a war with the rest of the world. So it's a useless uh, uh, effort to reach a nuclear uh, weapon because you cannot use it. If you use it, you got to have a big fight with the rest of the world. If they get one, will you? If they get one, we have to get one for security reasons and for balancing power in the Middle East. But we don't want to see that. Yeah. It's just a big change. You know, a lot of the world. If they get one, then we have to get one. That's code for them saying we already have one. <laughs> uh, I, they stand in the same vet as Israel does. Okay. Make no mistake about that. That's a whole other story. World experts are saying how you can isolate Iran and try to prevent them from doing what they have been doing. And then just the image of your Saudi team, football team, going to Tehran to play is just striking, right? Well, that's good. That's part of uh, the movement, and we see very warm uh, welcome from the Iranian side to the Saudi team. I believe Saudis take that very positively. Iran has been fighting this proxy war in Yemen against you. Uh, just today, there were these high-level talks over the past five days um, with the Houthi rebels uh, inside the kingdom. And the quote from your people is that it was positive. Secretary of State Blinken uh, said that this is a time of opportunity. Do you think it is? Yeah, definitely. Uh, our aim from day one is to have good life for the Yemenis, good life for uh, the whole countries in the region. For us in Saudi Arabia to progress, to do really great progress and great growth and creating amazing economy in Saudi Arabia and have close to 100% of succeeding of what we're trying to get, that means we need a stable region. To have a stable region, you need economical development in the whole region. 
You don't need to see your problems in Yemen. You need to see Iraq going really forward. You need to see Iran going really forward. You need to see Lebanon going forward. You need to see the rest of the region going forward. And we are working with GCC, with Egypt, with other players in the region, and also with the global players, with our allies in America, to make that happen. That's good for the rest of the world, because you see, when the region is disturbed, ISIS come out, Al-Qaeda come out, terrorist attack come out, uh, piracy uh, come out. So, so we don't want to see these events. You want to see opportunities for American companies, for European companies, for the rest of the world, and for more growth uh, from in a place that create problems in the yeah. past few decades. I mean, obviously, more than 150,000 people died in Yemen. It's been a big humanitarian crisis, but you all put in uh, billions of dollars uh, to help in that, and it doesn't get covered a lot. Uh, do you think it's close to kind of wrapping up? Well, we are the biggest country in the world who give aids to Yemen in the past, and today, and tomorrow. And we want to increase that, and also we want to start to invest in Yemen in economical in the economical path in all sides of Yemen, and we are in the process of doing that, even if there is a ceasefire and there is no political uh, agreement yet, but we are trying to push all the areas forward uh, day by day. Just a couple more things on Iran. Do you think it was a good idea for the U.S. to allow Iran to access that $6 billion in exchange for the five American hostages? You know, you can, you cannot say it's a bad or a good policy, but what I would say that it's a step. I hope that the Iranian show that uh, getting that six million get, and getting those American backs, it's worth the effort because that will encourage the world to do more. All right. So we're going to just skip for uh, just a little bit forward. And he's going to get a question about China brokering the, the normalization agreement with Iran. And you're going to see a smile on um, his face. It's a bit of a uh, sarcastic smile in a way. Um, but it is worth looking at because what he's basically saying is, well, China chose us. No, he's kind of going with the completion of Brett Baer's answer. But what he's actually thinking very likely is that, no, this was all done by Russia for a lot of reasons, by the way. China's in as a beneficiary of all of this. Russia is certainly a beneficiary of all of this. Uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia has everything to gain from this. So uh, let's pay attention to this and, and notice what he says. It's uh, actually pretty unique. You mentioned China brokering that normalization with Iran. That surprised some folks. Why choose China in that role? We didn't choose China. China, China chose you. China chose uh, uh, to... Uh... Did you notice how they cut him off? And then so basically he takes that as an opportunity to answer the question in the most diplomatic and underground way. But he's not telling anybody that it's Russia that did this. This is some incredible stuff. Be a broker to make that happen. There are signs of change. Um, you, obviously, the renewal of relations with Iran, brokered by China, possibly joining BRIC. Um, uh, China's a big component of that. Um, is the kingdom reevaluating its security partnerships, kind of trying to think of different ways to do it? No, no, BRICS is not about political uh, uh, alignments. So if, if you look at the G20, you have like two groups inside the G20, you have the G7 and you have BRICS inside G20. We tried to join the G7 at President Trump time, but some of the countries in G7 uh, have like requirement to uh, be part of that. And we are seeing that if, if we continue for one decade without being part of group inside the G20, 
that could really create obstacles for us economically. So BRICS is option, they invite us and we welcome that. And BRICS is not uh, a group against uh, America or the West. You have a lot of allies in BRICS. You have India, you have Brazil, and you have South Africa. Those are also as your allies. But the outcome of BRICS is going to be the destruction of the U.S. dollar. But what he is correct about is it's probably going to be the destruction of any national currency. It's going to take it to a global currency. And he made it very clear. This BRICS thing is not a political issue. He's saying it's an economic issue. And we recognize based on the faux pas we had with G20. And what he's basically saying is because when we were in G20, we wanted to be a part of G7. We couldn't because we were not a member of BRICS. That's kind of what he's basically saying. So they're saying, no, we want to join all of these groups because they have an economic benefit for us. And that allows the stabilization of the region that we're looking for. This is opening up the door, folks, to the kind of peace that is going to bring the whole world together to experience the things we read about in the Bible concerning the time of the final Antichrist. What we read about in Revelation 13, we're moving in that direction here. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Okay, now we're going to skip to the discussion of Russia. He asked him about Russia, and I want you to pay attention to what he says. Again, they are closer to Russia than a lot of people realize. Why? Because Israel is closer to Russia than a lot of people realize. And they all have to be because, again, when we read in Ezekiel 38, when this attack happens, all of these nations are going to be friends. So it's interesting, uh, just the general likableness of this guy. It, it All of this makes sense. It all gets used to bring these leaders together and these nations together to enter into this agreement to create the kind of circumstance that we have been talking about here. So uh, listen to this answer about Russia. What about Russia? You deal with President Putin. Um, what's your thought about Russia inside Ukraine? What's happening there is something bad. We don't want to see it. Uh, invading uh, a country, it's something against uh, the rules of the UN. And the Saudi void, void against against that. The Russians have their excuse of why they did that, of uh, expanding the NATO, etc., of their lists of excuse. But invading a country is, is, really, uh, is really bad. He's validating, by the way, Russia's justification because the expansion of NATO was wrong. Everybody knows that. There was a promise that was made to Russia that NATO would not be expanded. Uh, when all of this had happened during the time of the uh, Bush senior presidency, maybe just before that with Reagan, and they made that promise. Gorbachev agreed to it. No NATO expansion because NATO expansion means that Russia is incapable of defending the area of their nation to the south, right? That's why Crimea is so important. That's why some of these areas like Georgia is so important. The expansion of NATO would, in essence, destroy Russia's defense capabilities. And Russia will never let that happen. So that's why it's happening. And the crown prince is actually justifying it in the most political way possible. Uh, uh, in Saudi Arabia, we have a good relation with Russia. Uh, and also we have a good relation with Ukraine. We have amazing and critical trade with Ukraine and Russia. So for us, we try to do our best to push for a few steps to solve this problem. I mean, you tried to host peace talks. Uh, Russia didn't come. But I wanted to ask you about, you know, supporting Russia. I spoke to your energy minister, who was fantastic, Prince Abdulaziz, uh, about your decision for oil production cuts. And he told me that it was based on volatility and trying to stabilize the market. There are some 
supporters of Ukraine who say by doing that and prices spiking that you have essentially boosted Russia's war effort at a time when the country, every country, a lot of countries are trying to squeeze him to get out of Ukraine. By the way, before he goes on with this, let me just say what Abdulaziz did was very, very smart, actually, because by cutting oil production and actually as a larger effort with OPEC, they're actually saving their own interests, understanding fully that by the sanctions that Russia has actually uh, received, it's caused all kinds of energy cost abnormalities to exist within the region. And if OPEC didn't do that, and uh, if the... Uh, energy uh, minister didn't do this in Saudi Arabia, we would have had a major problem. OPEC would go away and there'd be all kinds of other issues that would result from this. They were acting in their best interest. And undoubtedly, yes, it works in Russia's best interest because what Russia did was smart. It's not a reflection of Saudi Arabia supporting Russia, although Saudi Arabia knew that it would be a help to Russia. They did that because it was in everybody's best interest. And the rest of the international world seems to be too blind to recognize that. It's kind of interesting to think about it. But And again, I'm not a pro-Putin uh, anything. I'm just pro-truth. And that's what we're seeing right here. It's interesting. Look at how he responds to this, by the way. So how do you deal with that? So you're system? talking about support of Ukraine. But how about the president of Ukraine? What did he say? He said totally something against that. He said Saudi Arabia is supporting Ukraine, supporting to solve the problem between Ukraine and Russia and trying to be a mediator to help in that uh, uh, area and if we are doing a deal in OPEC plus country to support Russia Iran is part of uh, uh, OPEC plus country and at that time Iran was our enemy that we don't have that alignments uh, that we have uh, today so are we, are we are supporting Iran at that time that doesn't make any sense for us so, in Saudi Arabia we just watch supply demand if there is shortage of supply our role in OPEC Plus is to fill that shortage. If there is oversupply, our role in OPEC Plus to measure that for the stability of the market. So it doesn't have anything other than no, that. No, it's purely about demand supply. Okay, so we're going to skip the discussion of uh, Kamal Khashoggi. Uh, that's an interesting part of this interview. Uh, but it uh, related to the Bible prophecy stuff that we're talking about, it's um, not nearly as relevant. And um, we're going to skip over to another section. The next section that we're going to see, and we're going to close off with this because this deals with the Temple Mount, is he talks to MBS about the idea that he is going to be in the line of secession to be the king of Saudi Arabia, which, by the way, will probably be a little bit a little bit down the line because the king of Saudi Arabia, I think, is uh, 82 years old and he's doing quite well. Anyway. He's going to become the king, and he was asked in becoming the king um, how he sees the role of stewardship with the holy sites that are in Saudi Arabia. You're going to notice that he corrects Brett Baer, and when he does, I'll stop at that nuance and explain it because this has something to do with the Temple Mount. It's a good way to close what we're doing right here, and then I'll kind of bring it all together for us. So uh, let's uh, let's play that right now. This is very interesting. Let's take a listen. Custodian of the two holy mosques is a title held by the Saudi king, um, and it's a really serious responsibility, always well understood in the U.S. Could, could you say something for our viewers about the obligation that implies for the Saudi king, how big a deal that is in the broader Islam? Well, the two holy sites in Saudi Arabia, it's the two holy sites of Muslims. In Mecca, you have Kaaba, which they face five times a day, and they have to visit one time uh, life. And you're talking about almost two billion people in the, uh, the planet. And in Medina, you have the grave of the Prophet. So 
He's saying it's all of Islam, not just Saudi Arabia. So he's emphasizing the fact that these are the only holy sites that are that matter, basically, are the ones in Saudi Arabia. This is his first step in minimizing the idea of the Temple Mount, which he eventually is going to take custody of the Temple Mount, and that's going in a different direction. So let's listen to what he says near the end of this, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up because it's very, uh, very important. Uh, the duty of any king of Saudi Arabia and the duty of all Saudi peoples to serve those two places and to serve the visitors of those, those places. And I believe we, we did a wonderful job in that area. Thank you for answering all of these questions. I just spent the past three days here, and I've visited here many, many times before. And I personally have seen major transformations, not just for women, but the building and the cranes and how people look at this country. For people on the outside looking at this, what would you tell them? You know, if they want to come visit, they may be skittish about coming to Saudi Arabia because of what has been written in the past, what, what they see. What, what would you tell them? I will tell them the greatest success story in the 21 century is Saudi Arabia. This is the story of this century. Do you want to miss it or not? That's your call. <laughs> and do you think you're going to slow down at all? No, no. We're trying to speed up every day. <laughs> your Royal Highness, we really appreciate this time. Shukran. So this is remarkable. And I think one of the greatest summations that we can make from all of this is that Saudi Arabia is accelerating or at least helping to accelerate, not just the peace process that we know will exist with Israel, but they are helping to accelerate the mechanism that is driving the globalist mindset of what's going to happen in the last days. If you understand the geopolitics of everything that's happening in the region, then you're certainly going to understand the effects that it has on Europe. You're going to understand the effects that it has on everything that is consequential to that area. And this literally is the coming together of all that we know with respect to the final day. We see this happening. It's remarkable. It should not surprise us. And again, it serves as evidence that Christ can come at any moment. Folks, this is amazing stuff. We are watching it happen. When you examine what it says in Ezekiel, when you look at what the Bible says concerning all of these things that are in front of us, and I kind of wanted to close off my thoughts by reading something that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks about uh, the rapture, and of course, um, this is a very important aspect of uh, so much of what we talk about on a regular basis because we have a great hope in the rapture. We know um, what's coming as a result of all of this, and we know why it's um, uh, so important. But this is what he says when you get into uh, 1 Thessalonians. He talks about what's going to happen in that day. And then he says this. This is so important. After he asks everybody to be comforted with the words of Christ's return for his church, right? Not the second coming, the rapture. And then he says this about the day of the Lord. He says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day, and we are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, notice this, let us not sleep as others do, but let us do what? Let us watch and be sober. 
That's the message. Things are changing all around us rapidly. The world is changing. Let us watch and be sober because the time is coming sooner than any of us can possibly imagine. There it is, folks. He's coming soon. God bless you.